This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Hey, welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. First of all, a very, very happy Mother's Day to all the moms, expectant moms, mother-in-laws. Hope you had a loved. Uh, I hope you had all of your loved ones, or as many as possible, close by to celebrate with. You know, it's it's always a dilemma. I think uh, all the fellas can relate to this. the 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 thing that always goes through my mind when I go to the florist is fresh cut versus the hanging basket, right? Am I right, guys? You know, you never know. Uh, versus a potted plant, but it's all good, right? It's all good. Uh, and I want to I wish my mother a very happy Mother's Day. I spoke to her today. She got the hanging basket, and um, so we spoke on the phone. She said she received it, and she took it back. She said, I exchanged it. I wanted the fresh-cut flowers. No, she did not. No, she loved it. Of course she loved it. Um, it's all good, right? Love you, Mom. Uh, Dr. David Cook is uh, going to help us all laugh at political correctness in Hour 1. And he'll help us regain our freedom by scoffing at the lies of the radical left. Uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley will be here in hour two, along with documentary filmmaker Paul Tate. Uh, Rosemary has a major role in uh, Paul's new film, Supernatural Assault, Terror from the Shadows. Wait till you hear about what went on in the, during the filming of this, uh, this DVD documentary. It's about shadow people, non-material entities... Uh, who cross into our reality to terrorize, violate, and and uh, uh, really wreak havoc on on innocent lives. And um, the film is actually dedicated to a um, a, a, a young woman. I believe is uh, she's a young was a young woman who was interviewed for the documentary on camera. She talks about fearing for her life her life because of these entities, and then she turned up dead on her birthday. Uh, we'll find all uh, out all about that. Uh, in the second hour. First of all, let me introduce the uh, the boys in the band on the Flying V Gibson guitar, technical producer Ian Robertson. Uh, on the Rickenbacker bass guitar and occasionally the theremin, 
story producer Albert Venzel, and finally on the Hammond B3, live stream producer Ryan White. And we are streaming uh, live on our YouTube channel tonight. Please drop by and hit the red subscription button. Uh, where are we now in terms of uh, subscribers? It's what? We're around 7,500 or so, yeah. 7,000. I like 7,500 mm-hmm. better. It sounds better. 7,500. All right. And um, Albert. Who do we have coming up on the program uh, next week? We have uh, some biggies. Uh, Jim, Jim D. Eugenio on JFK again. Ah, uh, uh, yes. And then Linda Moulton Howe, who will plug Ace, Ace 2018. The Alien Cosmic Expo, and uh, thank you for rem- reminding me. I will be there. Uh, that's uh, running June the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th at the Toronto Marriott, the Toronto Airport Marriott Hotel. And I'll be there on the, the Sunday uh, and I will be moderating the Disclosure Roundtable with all of the heavyweights, including Linda and Richard Dolan and Stanton Friedman and uh, Grant yeah. Cameron and, and, it's, and it's others. A, it's a great chance to meet and greet and get a photo and a book signing. And That's right. This is Stanton Friedman's sort of his swan song. He's doing yeah. one more live event after Ace, and that is the Roswell anniversary in July. And then he's basically hanging hanging him up. He's uh, he'll be available for radio and so forth, but he's not going to do the touring. He's like he's 85 now. I mean, he's he's uh, he's put in his time and he's done it admirably. All right, uh, let's get to it, shall we? Political correctness, at least in its its present extreme and radical form, is certainly worthy of derision and indeed laughter. Uh, but PC culture is is clearly no laughing matter. In fact, it's destroying lives. I think that's pretty well documented. I don't believe it's hyperbole uh, to suggest that, left unchecked, the purveyors of political correctness represent an existential threat to Western civilization. Nevertheless, my guest this hour says laughter may be the one weapon political correctness fears. So let's go with it. If it works, let's do that. Dr. David Cook is an optometrist specializes, uh, specializing in enhancing vision perception. How appropriate. And previously, he authored Biomythology, Charles Darwin and the Science of Persuasion. He's a European-American who is proud of the heritage that gave us Plato, Shakespeare, Einstein, and Hiroshima. Hmm? Got to ask him about that. I'm going to need you to explain that last one, David. First of all, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Good to be here, Richard, and I'm great. So, uh, the, uh, the Hiroshima reference, what do we mean by that? You're, you're uh, proud well, of the heritage? Well, what I was talking about there is that the Europeans have given us a lot, and, um, but they did give us the technology also for Hiroshima, and they gave us a lot of other great technology, too. But um, every um, blessing can be a bit of a curse, and certainly political correctness, which has um, some good thoughts in mind, um, can be a very big curse. Ah, so I see what I see what you were doing there. Then saying the technology, obviously, nuclear energy and so forth is good, but the downside is, of course. Hiroshima, which was a total nightmare, and not unlike political correctness, which has certainly done, I, I suppose, in its in its earlier forms, has sort of raised awareness about things that we all need to be sensitive about, but again, left unchecked, it just becomes a total nightmare. Uh, the subtitle of your book is, is actually a joke. How many light bulbs does it take to change a liberal? What's the punchline? Well, the punchline, essentially in biology, when you talk about discrimination... 
um, you talk about an organism can tell things are different, and the reason you can tell that is they act differently towards the things. So if you put an amoeba next to vinegar, they're going to act differently than if you put an amoeba next to sugar. And so because they act differently, you know they can discriminate. And then discrimination more recently has the idea that um, you're treating groups differently. Um, so the punchline essentially is that liberals are not allowed to discriminate. Um, so they can't tell if the light is on or off. So a light bulb doesn't have much of a chance. (laughs) That's a really involved punchline, but it's worth sticking around for, for it. Um, there's kind of the, the, um, a slightly different version. Normally, uh, I'm used to the line, how many liberals does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is none. They sit around and wait for a government program to be developed to fix the light bulb manufacturing industry, and then they ask, why isn't that industry unionized? But that's not a very good joke either. That's that's kind of yeah. a long... <laughs> but I mean, that same thing, if we had used it differently, it would have been politically incorrect. You can, of course, you can diss um, liberals. That's fine. If I had said, how many light bulbs... Um, does it take to change a woman? I would have been a sexist. If I had said, how many light bulbs does it take to change an African-American? I would have been a racist. If I said, how many light bulbs does it take to, to change um, someone from, from the um, LGBT community? I would have been a homophobe. So the whole idea that um, you can't tell a joke without being politically correct, is um, when you have to stoop to talk about liberals, you know? I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty rough. But anyway. Well, it's funny you mentioned the comedy because a lot of comedians simply, they don't do the college campus circuit anymore. They can't. It's a, it's a whole industry uh, that's been destroyed because uh, the, the politically correct crowd, and many of them to be found, obviously, on university campuses, which is sort of inculcating this whole... PC culture, uh, they simply don't laugh. And I used to, I, I used to love to listen to the Comedy Channel, uh, and um, on on uh, on the radio. But it's all very political and angry now. It's not even, it's not humor the way I remember it. Anyway, I think that irreverence and iconoclasm are useful against irrational groupthink. But I guess my concern is that political correctness is being so recklessly wielded by by very powerful people. And lives are being destroyed. Uh, that again, it's it's no laughing matter. But how did we get here? How did it become so weaponized? Political correctness. Well, I mean, I don't I don't know. There was a a politician or a guy, Saul Alinsky, you know, who inspired um, Hillary and inspired um, Barack Obama. And he says in his Rules for Radicals, which was a book he wrote, right. ridicule is man's most potent weapon. And so we are ridiculing people. Now, when I talk about political correctness, I'm not saying that you can use the N-word to insult people for no reason. No, no, no. Of um, course not. I think that's just wrong. Why would you insult anybody, you know, just to insult them? And why would you um, be mean to people? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. But it's been flipped around. Um, so now it's, um, you're talking about like destroying livelihoods and contributions to society. We have a new seven deadly sins. They used to be pride, covenant, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, sloth. Now they're racism, sexism, nativism, homophobia, xenophobia, and intolerance, and hate speech. 
the hate speech, of course, we can laugh at that because um, if Madonna um, has been thinking about blowing up the White House, that's perfectly okay. But if Mel Gibson a year earlier had thought about blowing up the White House, he would have been in prison. Precisely. Um, yeah. So we do have to. We just have to laugh at some of these terms. Um, you know, I, I was going to. Sorry, David. Hate, but um, it shouldn't be a political. Right. And and the, and the important point, I think, to be made is that if everyone is a racist, then no one is a racist. And what it does is it undercuts or un, uh, diminishes the real racism that we know exists. Uh, and right. We, yeah. I mean, uh, racism, when you're talking about terrorizing people, when you're talking about killing people, taking their lives, taking their property, this is this is heinous. I mean, this is just terrible things. Um, if I were talking about, um, how many African Americans does it take to, or how many light bulbs does it take to change an African American, which I have no answer to, um, but if I were doing that joke and that was put in the same ballpark as terrorism, um, then there's a problem. The term becomes wishy-washy. It can be used, like you said, for anyone, um, in some sense, you know, if you love um, your race, whatever your race happens to be, and you loved it, and you love other races, but you love your own more, um, you're a racist, okay? That isn't really what the term really means. It's about terrible inequalities that have been um, thrust on society um, for, for decades and almost good centuries even. And um, so that is bad. Um, but throwing around that term, um, let's say you have somebody that um, hates the whole human race. Well, then that would be what a, a misanthrope. And if you had somebody that just hated part of the human race, well, then they're um, a racist or a sexist or whatever. Well, um, and, and the sad part is that, for example, in the radical left, you have radical environmentalists who do hate humanity. They consider humanity or humankind to be a cancer on the earth. Uh, and yet, you know, they're sort of held up as the paragon of, of virtue, part of the uh, the new moral majority. We'll uh, come back and continue to discuss political correctness and how we should laugh at political correctness with Dr. David Cook here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Dr. David Cook is with us, the author of Laughing at Political Correctness. Just a reminder, coming up in the second hour, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal researcher, along with documentary filmmaker Paul Tate. And uh, Rosemary is um, featured in this uh, new documentary, uh, which is about shadow people and how they terrorize uh, certain individuals. And it's all documented in this, um, in this film. And uh, we'll get to this harrowing account in hour two. Uh, David, I'm a, a great admirer of uh, conservative commentator, radio host Dennis Prager. 
Many people will be familiar with uh, Prager University uh, videos on YouTube, those that haven't been taken down because they uh, espouse conservative thought. But I, I think that Dennis makes a vitally important point that in order to prevail in this culture war, uh, we have to stop picking fights with liberals because they're not the problem. And he draws an important distinction between liberals, the classical liberal, which he would count himself uh, among, and the radical left, the cultural Marxists, the radical progressives who are really to blame for this whole PC culture. What do you think? Your thoughts? Well, like I mentioned before, with um, Alensky's ridicule as man's most potent weapon, he was a um, an agitator, an activist. Um, he certainly had far less sympathy, sympathies, um, and and we're seeing that with this with these t- attacks. Now I'm. You have the real left, just like the right, where, you know, we have our feelings who want the country to do well. And then you have the illiberal left, um, who don't want us to say anything. Well, when you start getting into stopping free speech, when you're saying, don't anybody say anything because you could lose your job if you do, um, well, you're, you're slipping right towards um, not only socialism, but communism. When you start engineering a society that is no longer afraid to speak up, and it's a problem. Just There's this confusing of people's political views and who they are, okay? You have, like, George Washington, okay? He was a racist, okay? Um and right now, George Washington would be taken out. The question would be, sure, that would make George Washington in trouble. He wouldn't have a job anymore. He couldn't be president. Um, but moreover, we might not have a nation because he had special talents. So he had his, his unuseful attitudes. And he also had all of these gifts, which really helped form the nation, because he motivated a lot of people. He inspired a lot of people. And as a result, we do have a nation. Thomas Jefferson, another racist, should we just say, well, we would rather he had never written the Declaration of Independence. Um, The document was used originally um, to um, get Europeans on our side. The idea was, well... We're leaving England, but it's we have all these very good reasons to leave England. And so he voiced those, trying to get Europe on our side, and, and eventually he did get the French on our side, and that was a big help in, in the thing. So on one side, you have people who have unuseful attitudes, unuseful ideologies. On the other hand, those same people have talents. And so what we're seeing when somebody is attacked, it's not only that they're being hurt, it's that the whole society is being hurt because we're losing those talents. And that's what really concerns me. Um, Again, it's not about freedom to use um, the N-word. Well, who wants to use it anyway? Um, But it's about not taking out our contributors, people you could take somebody who has spent a lifetime of service, who has done many, many good things and will continue to do good things, and yet 
because of political correctness, that person could be taken out. And that is um, worrisome. That is, um, well, it is a revolution. It's trying to um, change things. Right. And, and I think the other lesson there is the, um, the folly of judging previous generations by the same yardstick that we now judge ourselves. So, uh, exactly. so God uh, help us in, in 200 years how we will be judged for eating meat or, who knows, vaccines, who knows, you know? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a very, very dangerous game, and what happens is in the end, uh, you know, would say that, that old saying, an eye for an eye, you, everyone ends up blind, right? Yeah. Um, no, it's, um, well, I mean, with Harvey Weinstein, for instance, um, which was unfortunate in many ways. So if we want to get rid of Harvey Weinstein from our, from history, then we also have to get rid of Shakespeare and love and we have to get rid of the King's speech and even worse yet, we got to get rid of Piranha 3D. Um, you know, this is great. <laughs> that would be great. that would that would really hurt Piranha 3D. Yeah, yes, it really would. You know, all those Playboy bunnies being eaten by little fish. Um, without that, you know, our our culture wouldn't be the same. But um, it's but when you're talking about the past and now, there was a time when um, with sex. I mean, you had one group that would just say, "Well, it's it's out of wedlock. There's no no room for it." And I'm not disrespecting that group. And you had a, another group that said, well, if sex was consensual, if both parties agreed to it, then that was okay. Okay? And so you had people that were thinking that way. Now, recently, after um, the Weinstein stuff came out um, in publishing, there's uh, an author, his name's James Dashner, and he's the author of The Maze Runner, The Scorch Trials, The Death Cure. Um, his books in that series have, stole, have sold 10 million copies, and the movies, based on his books, um, have grossed $900 million. Um, the guy's net worth is 400 for $4 million. So he's done well. Well, on January 3rd, this article comes out in the School Library Journal, and there are lots of comments afterwards in the article. And one of them, which was written by a non-hash-dash-me-too, um, so anonymous me-too, um, said that he, Dasher, offered to be my mentor using praise and flattery of my writing and promises to use his connections to help elevate my career to the level of his. But it was all bait and switch when I made it clear that I was not going to give him what he wanted in return, our mentorship relationship ended. Okay, now this is a guy, um, once upon a time he would have been called a philanderer. He is a married man, um, but there's no mention that it's adultery that's the problem. Um, the problem is that he um, was using his his fame and power um, to secure sex, essentially. Um, but he would have been called a philanderer. He might have been called a Casanova. Might have been called a Lothario or a Don Juan or a, a womanizer. But today, 
the politically correct term is he is a sexual predator, which is um, sounds pretty bad. Well, um, right, and this so, is one of the this is one of the calling cards of. I, I, I want to make the distinction between the radical left and, and classical liberals because I think you and I, for example, we sh- we have a great deal in common with classical liberals, of uh, you know freedom of speech and and uh, the, in, the privacy and the individual and and so forth. But the radical left, they want to blur all lines of distinction, uh, and uh, th- that's a that's a perfect example. Uh, there are there is no line now between um, an unwanted, um, let's say, proposition uh, and someone who's you know obviously sexually assault, for example. Uh, there's no there's no distinction now, and there should be obviously an un, an unwanted an unwanted advance by someone is uh, easily handled with no no thank you or a, a drink in the face or something like that. Uh, but but to blur this line of distinction is just dangerous. Yeah, and and, and this um, guy, I mean, essentially at this point, consensual doesn't count anymore. Um, when you go on a date, you need to bring a notary, and you need to have a disclaimer of conflict of interest so that it says, I'm going to have sex with you, but I don't expect to get anything out of it. Okay. And you also have to have a breath test to make sure that whoever it is isn't intoxicated. So it gets kind of, you know, crowded in the car with the with the lab tech and the notary and everything. But I guess it, it's, it probably would have its thing. Now, my thought is, um, from a laughing standpoint, people do get seduced by fame. They, they don't act like their normal self. They do things they wouldn't normally do when they're around fame. Same thing for power and the same thing for beauty. Um, fame, power, beauty. So my thought was that we need a hashtag Burka Me Too. I think we should all wear burkas um, so that nobody can tell who's famous, nobody can tell who's powerful, nobody can tell who's beautiful, and then see how things panned out. Um, I don't know what you think of that idea. <laughs> Not a fan. Not a fan of that idea, I, but I get I get the, uh, the point. Uh, a very important point. A very important point that you make over and over again in laughing at political correctness is the demonizing of perfectly sensible words, uh, words that have real meaning and real purpose. And you alluded to this earlier, and that is uh, the word discrimination, and how obviously it's part of the natural order of things. We need to discriminate in order to survive. You gave the example of the amoeba or a plant. Uh, for example, that discriminates uh, light versus darkness and so forth. Uh, the idea that, or this this way that the left has co-opted and perverted that word, it's it's very Orwellian. You know, the war, war is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. Are there some other examples uh, that you could cite how the left has taken a perfectly useful word and, and twisted it? Corrupted it. Yeah. You get, I mean, one word that gets thrown around is equality. And equality um, has different meanings, okay? And yet, um, anything that's, you know, if we were truly equal, um, there would be no need for bra sizes. Um, <laughs> and equality, you have equality under the law, you know, the rule of law. The laws are going to treat us equally. Right. Um, 
And then you have laws that are made to try to make us equal. So, like Beyonce and I, if we're driving and um, and we break the speed limit, then Beyonce should get the same ticket that I would get, and that would be equality under the law. Um, on the other hand, if they wanted to tax Beyonce and Jay, um, they could spend their whole billion bucks on trying to make me equal with Beyonce, and my voice would still not be the same. I could never. Um, voice lessons just wouldn't do it, and if they wanted us to be able to dance the same way, well, then um, they'd have to cremate us. Um, so e- equality is one of those words that gets mixed up. It gets thrown around. It sounds great, um, but the two types of equality are confused all the time. Well, we're going to make people equal. We're not going to make people equal, but we would like them treated equally under the law. The whole... Um, the movement on um, Black Lives Matter, um, the reason that that has been necessary is there are a lot of people that don't think um, that um, blacks are human. This was um, back in the Civil War. Um, the Republicans said they were human. Um, the Democrats said they weren't human. Um, you could do the, the same thing on fetuses now. Some say they're human. Some say they're not human. The only reason why you need, all you really need is lives matter. All life matters. Um, All lives, human lives matter. But as long as people are treated like they're not human, well, then that's a big problem. So that goes to equality under the law. Um, For a long time, um, blacks weren't protected by the law. They were lynched, um, their property was destroyed, and the law did nothing. So... They feel upset about that, but now by doing the Black Lives Matter, you're taking something that should be about humanity. Humanity matters. We all matter, and you're turning it into a political statement. Well, this is um, how silly it's it's gotten. There is a, um, a university, a campus, I'm not sure which one it is, uh, on the West Coast, uh, where, right. the ter- where, where to, if you were to say that the only race that matters is the human race, that is now listed as one of the microaggressions on their long right. list by these self-appointed priests of language. Can you imagine? This is how far or how, how far well, we've can, come or how low we've come. You can't even say um, that colorblindness is good, that you treat all people equally, because um, there are volumes written on... Um, white privilege, which would be used to say you are a racist if you treat people equally. Um, That if you are colorblind and you want everybody treated equally, you don't want any mention of race in the laws, you want them equal for everyone, you would be considered a racist. So that's um, pretty strange. Martin Uh, Luther King Jr. uh, would be rolling in his grave. This is the man that said, you know, we don't want to be judged by the color of our skin, but by the quality of our character. Uh, And that has been entirely flipped around. Uh, Yeah. We're just taking giant leaps leaps backwards. Uh, Dr. David Cook stays with us. Laughing at political correctness. More on the other side. Stay with us. Don't be afraid. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Beaming across North America. 
The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Welcome back. Dr. David Cook is with us, laughing at political correctness. How do we get the book, David? Well, the book is uh, available on Amazon, and you can actually look through the table of contents on the book. I mean, there's a chapter in there, but there's also the table of contents, and it's an annotated table of contents. It tells exactly what is in each chapter, so that you're interested in racism, um, you could turn to that chapter. If you're interested in sexism, homophobia, um, nativism, whatever your interest is, you can find it in the table of contents, and it tells you a little bit about it, and you can see if you wanted to read that or not. I wanted to get your uh, take on some things that have been in the news. Um, There is this sexuality expert in the UK who says parents... I have to really, you know, try and keep a straight face here. Uh, Parents should ask their child's permission before changing their nappies, their diapers, so they can set up a culture of consent. What do you make of that? Um, This is um, great. Like, in my practice, um, when I see a three-year-old that runs the whole family, um... This is not necessarily a good thing. Developmentally, you don't have a whole lot of um, ideas yet when you're um, younger, and you certainly don't have any abstract reasoning at all. So when you start talking about, like, the core curriculum, for instance, with this, um, where they're going to teach people a new way to do math, and the new math is going to teach them the logic behind math. The only thing is, this is done for first graders, and they're going to be 13 before they even have the logic to understand the logic. Um, so developmentally, at different ages, we have things. Now, this whole attack on parents, um, on putting um, children ahead of parents, um, is crazy. And, but essentially what it does is it takes children away from parents and gives them to the government. Um, so just like Hitler did his um, child thing and... Um, other groups have were um, Plato, you know, he wanted to take the kids away from the parents. Um, so this idea of empowering children over their parents as opposed to empowering parents over their children is just a way to put the government in charge of everything. Um, the idea is, um, who do you want to raise your children? Do you want to raise them, or would you like President Trump to raise them, or would you like Hillary Clinton to raise your children? Um, Who do you think would do the best job on raising your children? Well, I kind of look at it like I would prefer that parents have the the choice to raise their their children or not, um, and not the government. And I see, like, homeschoolers, um, and they raise their kids in one way, and the kids come in, and if they touch my equipment... um, the typical homeschool parent would say, well, that's not your property. Do you want to pay for that if you break it? Um, and a psychology-oriented family would say, well, he's exploring. Um, he needs to learn. Well, it is true that he is exploring, and it is true that that's how children learn is um, they see with their hands. Yeah, but not on my time. <laughs> they don't learn yeah. on my time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they see with their hands when they're young, you know, and some of them, as we mentioned, see with their hands when they're older. But um, but they can't do that anymore. But anyway, 
Um, this, so this is ridiculous stuff. But the thing is, it's done under the name of science. The the person who made it uh, was probably a behavioral or whatever. But science, as I re- wrote in a different book, um, it's very different, the science of microbiology, say, and the science of um, biochemistry and the science of physics are very, very different than the behavioral sciences. Those are pretty much um, group agreement type science. If everybody concurs on something, well, then it must be true. And um, so this whole thing on giving kids, you know, a chance to destroy themselves um, is is not so good. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't go for that, but I do see it as weakening the family. And when you do take it away from the family, you're giving it to the government. And um, I'd much rather see... Now, you do have parents that are, are rotten parents, but the question is... Do you want to take away the rights of all the good parents to protect the rotten parents? And I don't, um, I don't go for that at all. I don't think you should be taking away the freedoms of the able because some aren't quite up to them. No, that's that's simply not the way we make laws. Uh, not, it's not based on the worst case scenario. Uh, it's a horrible way to make law. Uh, we're, we're coming up on a break here, but I, I, we can start the conversation now and continue it after. And I want to talk about this other story. The, the, the term cultural appropriation has reared its ugly head in recent days. This uh, poor uh, girl who, who wore a Chinese dress to her prom and then was lambasted by all these virtue-signaling twits on Twitter. Um, one of them was, my culture is not your G-damn prom dress. Uh, what was your uh, reaction to that? Um, well, our culture um, in the homeschool movement, and we see a lot of homeschoolers, they've taken culture, um, they've given up on the government, essentially, and they're, and they're culturizing their own kids. Um, so in America, the thing that made us so different from all everywhere else is people came here and sure they love their homelands but they wanted to be americans and they wanted to be a part of this culture and so they became assimilated um second generation the kids are already doing well in most cases um and they did it by adopting american culture um to say that all cultures are equal um well um the American culture has been pretty darn good. I mean, you don't have a lot of examples of 200 years of freedom, um, which is, of course, slipping away, but you don't have that that often. Um, and so there's something about our culture that's different. There's something that allowed us to assimilate all these groups. Um, but the so idea, that, for example, uh, David, excuse me, the idea, though, for example, that, you know, I used to see... For example, tourists coming back from Jamaica, uh, and they might be European, and they would have their hair braided in a certain way. They uh, they call it uh, cornrows. Uh, and now that's just not on. You can't do that. That's cultural appropriation. Uh, and this girl, she can't wear a Chinese dress to a prom because she's not Chinese. Uh, uh, t- to me, that's the antithesis of uh, a tolerance. That's that's an elitism. Yeah. You can't well, you can't wear a tie because you're not uh, from the West. Uh, you can't wear blue jeans because you're not a rancher from the American Southwest. That's that is that really where we want to go? All right, we'll uh, take a time out and come back with Dr. David Cook. One final segment remaining: laughing at political correctness, right here on the Conspiracy Show.
Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Follow the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. Laughing at political correctness, author Dr. David Cook is with me. And just a reminder, coming up at the top of the hour, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator, along with Paul Tate, documentary filmmaker. And uh, wait till you hear about this harrowing uh, documentary film project that Rosemary was involved with, uh, that Paul Tate uh, has um, uh, directed. It's called Supernatural Assault, Terror from the Shadows. It's available on uh, DVD and Blu-ray, and we'll tell you how to get that as well. Uh, All right, so we were talking about cultural appropriation before the break. Um, David, now this is a, a topic that really gets my, my wife exercised because she is of Greek heritage. She loves her Greek culture. Uh, and so whenever she hears people whinging and complaining about cultural appropriation, uh, she says, well, you know, does that mean that I should demand people stop using words like zoology and, uh, well, heck, even, <laughs> even, even xenophobia is a Greek word. So xenophobia, if you use xenophobia, if you say someone's being xenophobic, you're, you're cultural, you're appropriating Greek culture. Right. Yeah. If you, um, if you have somebody do anything that's given to us, um, by the Europeans, um, if you want to say Hiroshima or you you want to say um, Plato, um, you are appropriating culture. And it's, I mean, in America, we've gotten into this putting heritage um, before country. You know, you're, a, you're an Asian American. You're um, an African American, where it's kind of like the heritage comes first and then country comes second. Um, and this isn't really what we need. Um, one of my favorite actresses, and I really forget her name at the moment, but um, she's in Guardians of the Galaxy, where she's green in Guardians of the Galaxy. She was blue in um, Avatar. Avatar. Um, She's black in Star Trek. Um, She calls herself an American when you look at her bio material. Um, And um, I like that, and I think we should, but I mean... Sure, we do borrow from all sorts of cultures. Um, and, um, you know, Italians can eat pizza. They can take it home and they can they can um, use it in Italy, even though they probably never heard of pizza in their lives in Italy before it came from America. So, um, right. The, the who, owns, who owns what, when it comes to thought, it's really tricky. Um, and if you just look at the um, English language, it is just, you've got every imaginable um, place that English has come from. Um, so you can't even use the English language without appropriating everybody's culture. So, I mean, it's ridiculous. But anyway. Well, this is the problem when you take the, uh, the arguments from those on the radical left and you sort of distill it down to... I guess it's essence. What you end up with is something that looks a lot like a Monty Python sketch. Exactly. No, it's um, it's crazy. It's kind of like if um, if a white um, underestimates um, blacks, that would be racism, and if a black underestimated whites, that would be justice. 
um, men if they undervalue women, um, that's sexism. And if women undervalue men, that's liberation. Exactly. Um, if you have undocumented abuse of immigrants, um, becomes criminal, but criminal abuse of immigration becomes undocumented. The words, que- they lose all meaning. They are, um, they're meaningless terms. The, when I said I was upset about, you know, the, the racism, um, sexism, nativism, um, these terms, they're just um, very questionable. Of course, on the nativism thing, you know, when you start talking about the, the, the New World Order and um, kind of like trying to destroy all the boundaries, all of the borders, right. um, so we can all be ruled by one big group who could um, really screw up. Um, nativism is interesting because in America, I mean, when I was writing the book and looking at the statistics, the average prostitute makes about um, $290,000, and the average lawyer um, makes about $130,000. And um, that's largely because of nativism. If you look at, um, at the laws when they were passed, they all excluded prostitutes. You cannot bring prostitutes in, to America. Um, you're in trouble if you do. Um, if instead they had allowed prostitutes to come in and... Um, banned um, lawyers, um, then lawyers would be making enough that they didn't have to moonlight as politicians. Um, <laughs> and it, life would be a lot better. Indeed. Anyway. Indeed. Uh, is that what is at the root of this is ultimately, uh, I mean, the, 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 the purveyors of political correctness are merely, you know, foot soldiers. They may not understand the machinations sort of higher up or the agenda, but is the agenda... Uh, as at least as I see it, the destruction of the nation state and also the destruction of Western civilization. Um, well, certainly the destruction of the nation state without a but if you look at all of it, it's all grow, going um, equality, 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 but they're not um, really after equality. That's just the carrot. Um, the stick is an elite will rule. And if we can, if we can take everybody else out, if we can take entire parties out, if we can take anybody out that thinks different than the new elite, um, then that essentially is political correctness. It's a, it's a scary thing, um, and yet it starts out well enough. Um, like the N word, for instance, there's not a lot of use for it. Um, so. That would make sense. We don't need that word. Um, Mark Twain, of course, um, he used it 200 and some times in um, in Huckleberry Finn, and so that's now been um, boulderized. Or Samuel Boulder was a guy that um, took all the nasty words out of Shakespeare, right? Um, and um, so somebody else took it, um, took out the N word out of, of Mark Twain um, because. Um, People were upset by it, and so they wouldn't read Twain. I recently, um, I spoke at a, at a group. I gave 13 hours of lecture um, on a rather intricate area about um, eye care. doesn't matter what it is. When I was done, one of my um, evaluation, out of 13 hours, the person got um, disappointing that the course is taught by a sexist. And what had happened um, 
I was pretty busy teaching the course, and I was working with a lot of people, and I work with some um, female doctors that are about 30, 35 years younger than I am, and I called them girls. So that was... Um, How dare yeah. you? <laughs> yeah. If a 40-year-old um, said that about somebody 35 years younger than them, that would have been okay, but, I mean, I kind of lose it. But anyway, so that is that is too bad because... To take 13 hours of lecture and reduce it to one political thought, um, that is just destroying uh, what we can be. And, you know, this is one of the sad parts is, uh, and again, it comes back to equality and what what they mean, the left, radical left, not classical liberals. uh, I think it's important to keep hammering that point. We're not fighting classical liberals. They're our brothers and sisters. Can I still say that? Uh, Yeah, you're you're talking about a group that, thinks that the best way to help people is through their viewpoint as opposed to a conservative viewpoint, and that's just fine. Right, but, right. Uh, but the, 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 so the radical left is destroying the distinction between everything, uh, including borders, but also between genders. And one of the great joys in life is celebrating the differences between uh, men and women and boys and girls. Uh, you know, this this is all leading to, I think, ultimately, this sort of a dystopian Maoist China. That's, I think, that's their template. Well, that's a good example of equality. Um, you know, like um, Orwell said, you know, some pigs are more equal than others. Um, and so you do have a, a small elite, and you do have abolition of free thought, um, and with political correctness, we are getting, when you have people, see, we have been very competitive. We have free thought. We can um, think what we want. We can create what we want. And we have, our geniuses have created, created all sorts of things. In China, they have much more control of things. But on the other hand, their geniuses don't have free thought. And so that that put them back way far back because people couldn't think freely. Um, so when we start not allowing people to think freely, where you have to kind of check your language, kind of think now, is this going to be okay? Because what we're doing is we're taking politics and we're saying this is morality. Um, so if you're immoral, then that's a, that's a real bad thing. So you don't really want to be immoral, but if this isn't morality, this is straight politics. This is a revolution. This is trying to um, change um, the whole power structure. Now, I'm not saying that that's bad, changing the power structure, but I'm saying that's what it is. They want to change the power structure, and it, that's politics. So don't pass it off as morality. And what people need to do is is kind of look at it for what it is, and laugh at it and say, yeah, good good try, folks. Um, you're, you're selling politics here. You're not selling morality. Um, and um, I can think in a different way, and I'm still okay. And, and it's okay that you think in that way. Um, it just shows you're a moron, you know. <laughs> well, it is, it is a revolution, and, and it is, at the least at the moment, it's relatively nonviolent. My concern is... Uh, this uh, constant attempt to dehumanize someone for their politics, criminalize a differing viewpoint, 
uh, is not going to end well. And it's, I know it's a cliche, but it is a slippery slope, and we could easily fall into a violent uh, revolution, not a revolution or uh, a civil war like North versus South. I mean, this will, this will fracture households. This will be uh, an unimaginable horror show. Yeah, it sure could be. I, um, but it's it's kind of like we got to keep freedom of speech kind of first. Freedom of speech is what makes the other freedoms possible. When you look at the civil rights movement, there wouldn't have been one if we didn't have freedom of speech. Um, and when you look at um, the whole gay movement, um, there wouldn't be one without freedom of speech. Um, so freedom of speech is kind of senior. So whenever anybody is telling us that we can't speak what's on our minds, um, that's taking away what's most important. Right. And and that's what, as a nation, has, has made us what we are. We have all of these things. Um, many of them are, are protected by our Bill of Rights. Um, and... As they start whittling down the the Bill of Rights a little bit at a time, then you're talking about takeover time. You're talking about real nasty time, and and I agree with you that that is not going anyplace good. In the meantime, though, we uh, we can laugh at political correctness because, as you point out, and I think uh, very wisely, that is the one thing that political correctness fears, and that is laughter. Thanks very much for this, uh, David. Hope we uh, we can do it again sometime. It's great, Richard. Take care. Laughing at political correctness. All right, when we come back, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, Paul Tate, and we'll talk about supernatural assault, terror from the shadows, right here on The Conspiracy Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home. Long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate in your cabin in the woods. A big how-do to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM. Those of you catching us on one of our affiliate stations across North America, hi to everyone who listens to the podcast. It is everywhere, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn.com. Uh, those of you who take the show with you on your mobile device uh, with the Zoomer Radio and the Conspiracy Show apps, both free downloads and both terrific. Uh, those of you catching the YouTube live stream and those of you in the live chat, however and wherever you're listening or watching, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. Hey, have you uh, subscribed to Conspiracy Unlimited yet? Uh, three new episodes every week. They drop every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You don't have to wait till Sunday now if you're into conspiracies and the paranormal. Uh, and you can subscribe and listen at Conspiracy Unlimited Podcast. Dot com, And if you like rock and roll and uh, 
Strange Mysteries. I think you're really going to dig the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. Uh, new episodes drop every Wednesday. It's uh, part of the Jericho Network and Westwood One. All right, imagine a sinister, shadowy figure emerging from the darkest corner of your bedroom. Chills run down your spine, and as you find yourself paralyzed, unable to move or cry out for help. These terrifying encounters happen every single night around the world, and many of them are coupled with reports of physical assaults and sexual attacks. Throughout history, a number of religious uh, religions, legends, and belief systems describe encounters involving a moving, shadowy form. This phenomena is commonly known as shadow people. There's been much speculation as to what or who shadow people are. Recent research points to the jinn, a race of spiritual beings who are well documented in Islamic culture and theology, with terrifying witness testimonies, expert opinions, and dramatic reenactments. Supernatural assault explores the sinister agenda of the jinn and examines the link between this ancient supernatural race and the shadow people phenomena. Uh, This eerie documentary will bring your worst nightmares to life, uh, leaving you wondering if you'll be their next victim. And it's, uh, it's called Supernatural Assault, Terror from the Shadows. And one of the people that uh, plays a very prominent role in this documentary is our very own Paranormal investigator Rosemary Ellen Guiley, a best-selling author, researcher, investigator in the paranormal, metaphysical, and related fields, including afterlife studies and spirit communication, uh, interdimensional aspects of our extraordinary experiences. She has more than, I think it's closer to 70 books now published on a wide range of topics, including nine single-volume encyclopedias and reference works, and her website is visionaryliving.com. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, welcome back. How are you? Hi, Richard. Well, I'm doing well and uh, chugging away on new book projects. Uh, I have a lot coming out this year. (laughs) When are you not writing? Do you write in your sleep? (laughs) I probably write in my sleep and I don't even know it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Paul Tate has been reading, observing, and researching many aspects of the paranormal world since his early childhood. His fascination of the unknown began back as far as 1976 and stemmed from the strange and truly frightening experiences he had as a young boy while living in his native country of England. One such experience involved disturbing visitations from an ominous, shadowy entity. Paul would often wake up to see the sinister sinister shadowy form standing right next to his bed, staring down at him. These unsettling paranormal encounters provided Paul with the desire uh, to learn more about the spirit world and has since led him on a lifetime journey of discovery and enlightenment in the many areas and topics of the unknown. And, of course, uh, he is with Dark Element Films Paul Tate, welcome to you, sir. How are you? I'm great, Richard. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to a great show. So, yeah, I've been um, excited about this one. So, obviously, the the motivation for you to make Supernatural Assault, Terror from the Shadows, that that really stems to your own childhood experiences. It does. And um, if you want me to go into that, I I will elaborate. Yes, please. What happened to you? Well, the first experience happened to me um i was around five years old and me and my parents moved into an apartment in london that was built on the site of an old world war ii um, bomb site where they had flattened a, a row of homes that were situated on that road and um i used to go to sleep at night and be woken by a shadowy figure standing by my bed. And I would look up 
at this shadowy figure, but it would just stare down at me. It wouldn't say a word, and it would just stare almost like it was watching me while I was sleeping. And I used to scream out to my parents to come and get me, and my mum would always come in and get me and ask me, you know, what was going on. And um, I used to just be terrified at night to go to sleep because this kept on happening. Eventually, I ended up sleeping with my parents. It got so bad. But at that time, obviously, I was too young to even, you know, contemplate what this could be. And it wasn't until, you know, years later, I kind of started really talking about it to my my mum in particular, more than my dad. And then... We, we couldn't figure out what, what had happened. We only stayed in that apartment for a year. But that was my first experience. And this, you know, it kept on happening to me. And it affected me so bad that, you know, to this day, this you know, when I go to sleep at night, I cover my head because I don't want anything watching me. So it left a, an impression on me, uh, you know, the experience that I had that has lasted to this day. And... Uh this this film, uh, this is something like 10 years in the making, right? How many people did you interview? How many victims of shadow people did you interview for this film? Well, in total, in the film, I mean, there, you know, there are dozens of people that we interviewed, but actual people who, had, who have seen shadow people, we probably have about, I don't know, 12 or 15 or so interviews. And it happened by accident because we originally made a film called Your Worst Nightmare, which was about sleep paralysis. And during that film, um, we were discussing with the interviewees their experiences during the sleep paralysis process. And many of them, you know, were saying to us that they were witnessing these shadowy, you know, non-material entities in their room. Some believed them to be solid and, and uh, as real as, you know, you or I standing there. And people were being attacked by these entities. People were just being observed. So I collected those interviews because I thought it was pretty strange. These people didn't know each other. And I thought that one day I'm going to do a documentary that would um, cover specifically the topic of shadow people. So that's how it came about. It was just by sheer accident during the filming of another documentary. We captured all these interviews and then down the road, you know, 10 years later, we really started to put this together. Uh, life, you know, life happened and we had things going on and it was only then that we were able to get together and do this. The, uh, the, the, de- the film is dedicated to a, a, a young woman who died tragically. Tell me about that story. Yeah, there was a, an interviewee, her name was Dawn, and she was pretty distressed during her interview because she had not only seen shadowy entities around her property she was physically attacked by one and she was crying during the interview but after the interview you know she was still upset and i said to her you know what's going on why are you so upset about this i mean i've seen shadow people and i've you know even in my adult life i saw one during the experience in london but she said to me um you know she was terrified she just she just can't cope with this. And she actually said that she believed that one of these shadowy um, figures was going to do her harm, was going to potentially kill her. And she actually said that. And I said to her, don't say that because, you know, you, you don't know what you can bring into your life, but don't go around thinking that that can happen to you. 
And we received a phone call, you know, shortly after we shot the documentary of her, and um, we were given the news that she was found dead in her apartment, and she was found dead on her birthday. She died the day before her birthday, but she was discovered on her birthday. So the cause of death, I couldn't find out at the time, and my wife had been making inquiries. She couldn't find out, but the last that we heard was it was natural causes. So it was strange because she was only in her 50s, mm. and, um, you know, we just were, we were shaken up by that whole experience of, I'll bet. I'll of, bet. of Dawn. Uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, you uh, you uh, have a major role in this documentary, Supernatural Assault. When did you, I mean, you've been researching shadow people for a long time, but when did you make the connection between uh, these entities and the jinn, the, which is well, part of his, I started, Islamic uh, folklore? researching the jinn around 2004, and that, that was as a result of paranormal investigation and getting inquiries from people about some of their supernatural experiences that um, they had no explanation for, and they were terrified by them. They wanted to know what was going on, and these experiences were very similar in nature, uh, just as Paul describes in his documentary, the, the nighttime visit by a dark, shadowy figure that's very threatening and, and can attack people. And it took me a while, actually, to arrive at the explanation of jinn, um, because um, we don't think, in our culture, we don't think much about the jinn. I was familiar with them from my own study of uh, mythology and supernatural and magical lore, and entities are all over the world, regardless of uh, their dominant culture, so to speak. Um, but I couldn't find any other explanation that could explain the characteristics and the behavior patterns of uh, this particular entity. They weren't demons, even though they act in demonic ways. Uh, they didn't seem to be astral forms. Uh, they weren't the dead. They weren't ghosts. Uh, they didn't fit any ET uh, categorization. And fi finally, I get down to the jinn. And when I uh, uh, applied that template, so to speak, to shadow people, a lot of things started falling into place in terms of the shape-shifting, their modus operandi, the way they vampirize the life force out of people. And... Um, their resilience against expulsion. Uh, and uh, I have maintained ever since then that I, I think uh, shadow people are a form taken by jinn. There, there may be some other shadowy forms in the paranormal realm. We certainly find uh, a lot of dark entities drifting around certain haunted places. But the, the type of um, assault that Paul uh, describes in his documentary, the bedroom visit with a dark figure, looks like it's wearing a coat and a hat, very threatening. Um, that's what we would call classic shadow people, and I do believe that's the gin. Now, I didn't have any childhood experiences like uh, Paul did. I came into this through my paranormal investigation, uh, and then once I started putting a spotlight on the jinn and focusing on them, then I started having experiences myself. Uh, and they can cause uh, people trouble from just kind of annoying, exasperating uh, sort of interference uh, in your life and your work to out-and-out -out physical, psychological, emotional trauma 
And in lore, it is said that the jinn are capable of killing people, and that may very well have, have happened to one of Paul's interviewees. We're coming up on a break here. Um, when we come back, I wanted to talk about whether or not this is related to the old hag syndrome, uh, because we used to hear a lot about old hag syndrome, and, and it was dismissed by skeptics and so-called uh, professionals, psychologists, sociologists, etc., as uh, sleep paralysis. Uh, so we'll find out whether they're related, and then we'll delve further into this uh, remarkable and horrifying documentary, Supernatural Assault, Terror from the Shadows, now available on DVD and Blu-ray. We'll tell you how to get a copy. Back with more of my conversation with Paul Tate and Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Stay with us. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Documentary filmmaker Paul Tate from Dark Element Films is with me, along with paranormal investigator Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And uh, the documentary film is called Supernatural Assault, Terror from the Shadows. And it's now available to stream online or own on DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, Paul, uh, where can we stream it? How do we own it? Yeah, anybody who wants to stream it can go to darkelementfilms.com and you can stream it there or you can um, purchase it and retain it online. Or if you want a hard copy, you can purchase a DVD or a Blu-ray from the same site. At the top, there's links. You'll see them stream or purchase the DVD. So you can go there to get it. Uh, Rosemary, um, the old hag syndrome, uh, again, often dismissed as uh, sleep paralysis, but it has a lot of the same sort of symptoms. People feel like they can't move. They can't scream out for help. They feel uh, this ominous the sense of almost evil in, in the room with them. Uh, sometimes it's accompanied by a screeching sound, a, a pressure on the chest as if someone's trying to take their breath away. Are they related, old hag syndrome and the shadow people? They're definitely related, and I think the old hag is just a variation. Uh, now, uh, people don't always see a form in the old hag. They may feel or sense a presence in the room. They might feel a weight upon them. Uh, the bad smell, sometimes there's shuffling footsteps, you're paralyzed, you can't even scream out. And many people do feel choked or suffocated. With a shadow person uh, visit, uh, the dark form is in the bedroom. And uh, sometimes these figures will jump on people and do the same things, uh, uh, sort of uh, press down on them, suffocate them, and choke them. Uh, I've had people describe also breath suckers. Uh, where they feel like the, the shadow person is trying to suck their breath out, and I've even had people say suck their soul out. So um, I believe that there are just variations of um, a nighttime assault by this particular entity, and uh, the old hag syndrome has been described for centuries. It's been documented all over the world, um, happening to adults and children alike. Almost everyone has... Uh, one or more of these attacks during the course of their lifetime. Uh, 
Paul, before I get to the the one question I wanted to ask you, and but I want to, I took note that uh, Dark Element Films is located in Maine, uh, and right. I think you even point this out in your press material. That's Maine is uh, something going on in Maine because a lot of Stephen King novels are based in Maine. Is that why you located there, or what is it about? What is it about Maine? Well, love brought me to Maine. <laughs> My wife. Um is from Maine originally, so we, we met and um, we ended up moving here. She, she lived with me in London, but it wasn't anything to do with Stephen King. It was just sheer coincidence that, you know, I ended up here uh, and, and delved into this type of field. But um, Maine, Maine is an interesting place. I mean, it's creepy just as, as a place naturally. And um, in the fall, you get the... Um, the sense up here, you know, anything can happen, but there's a lot of energy up here. People um, have, have told me when I first came here that people were gravitating towards the area I'm in, the Western Mountains, um, because of the energy up here. And a lot of strange, there's a lot of strange things that go on up here that um, people talk about. There, there was um, the Sci-Fi Channel did a show up, up here about the, the Beast of Turner. It was some hybrid animal that was found and We've had um, um, the Reich Institute up here. The, he, I forget his first name, but he, um, Wilhelm Reich, that was it. He had the Cloudbuster machine that um, he invented, and he was up in Rangeley, Maine, and he was developing that technology up there. And it was all pretty strange and bizarre around that area at the time he was there. So there have been, not just Stephen King, but there have been some stuff happening up there or some things happening up here that you know people are interested in and can't explain so Maine's always had that eerie feel to it you, you sense it when you come up here right now in supernatural assault I know that there are um, some some reenactments really scary reenactments but did you also try and have you ever tried to capture uh, one of these shadow people incursions or attacks on film has anyone ever accomplished that no they, and that's the main reason that we did the reenactments because nobody had it. I mean, there's there's plenty of videos online of people, you know, supposedly capturing these things on tape and on in photographs. I spoke to a paranormal investigator. Um, her name was Polly Gear. She sent me a picture once of a shadow person that she actually caught in a prison, and the story was quite interesting behind that. But I I haven't I haven't yet um, myself been able to capture anything. Now, Rosemary, uh, who is susceptible uh, to an attack of a shadow person? Is it is is there a common denominator, uh, or does it have to do more with a geographical location? So, for example, if you happen to be in an area, maybe it could be someplace like Maine, where the the veil between dimensions maybe is is thinner, or maybe there's a portal or something. Who's susceptible? There are definite patterns, Richard, and uh, some of it does have to do with land and, and the way land is energized. Uh, I have quite a few cases uh, where people have moved uh, into uh, a home. It could even be a new home. doesn't have to be an old one. Or they've gone to stay in a place like a bed and breakfast or a motel, and the entity is there, and it will attack whoever is there. Uh, and the attacks stop when people leave. And I've had cases where people literally have uh, been forced out of their homes because of, of relentless supernatural assault. 
so that's one type of pattern. And another type uh, of pattern is someone who's going through a lot of emotional upheaval in their lives. Uh, they've been wrecked by uh, catastrophic illness or financial problems or divorce, something that's turn their lives upside down, and they're, they're vulnerable that way. They're emotionally vulnerable. Their auras become weakened. And uh, many of these entities are opportunistic, and they can find these vulnerable people, and um, they have an easier time attacking them. Uh, usually when people get them uh, themselves sorted out and they get their lives back in balance and they get into a better, uh, stronger position, the attacks abate because the entity doesn't have as as easy a time getting them. Then there are people who have thin boundaries to the paranormal. Um, from the get-go in childhood, they tend to have more experiences than the average population. And if they go into areas where uh, there are a lot of dormant energy or uh, entities like this residing in the land, um, there's something in their energy field or their consciousness that is able to activate things and stir things up. Uh, and so these people can often become victims as well. And then there's another case, which we don't, re- another type, which we don't really know a lot about, and that's the generational, that uh, some of these gin entities will follow families through generations, like they've got old grudges. Uh, that go back in time, and they keep, um, you know, getting their pound of flesh out of every succeeding generation. And those are very difficult to suss out because you have to know what the original problem was uh, in order to try and alleviate the situation, and a lot of times people don't have that information. Paul, since you embarked on this uh, project to sort of raise awareness about shadow people and the jinn and so forth and the danger that they pose uh, have you been targeted much in the same way for example as Rosemary she didn't have experience as a child but once she started to research it then they started to, to bother her did, did, did your experiences with shadow people uh, resume intensify because you were working on this project well I haven't actually seen anything I mean I've seen twice things in my life. Once when I was a child, the story I explained at the beginning, and then I saw um, a shadow person with another person when I was 18 years old in the Chislehurst Caves in England. And while making this documentary, although a lot of strange things have happened, I haven't seen anything materialize, but I have had some weird stuff happening. And when I say, you know, I haven't seen anything materialize, I have seen things out of the corner of my eye. So when I'm here editing in the studio and it's late at night, I, I have seen like black flashes go past my French doors. And, it, and it's like, I don't know whether it's just tired eyes or whether it's just a, my imagination playing tricks on me late at night, but I, I did keep seeing black flashes, but I haven't had anything too untoward happen while, while I made this documentary to me. So, so we had the, the, um, the woman that, that passed away, uh, tragically. Yeah. Uh, aside from her, um, some of the more, would you would say, are the more compelling or uh, horrifying testimonials or eyewitness testimony that you received from people in this documentary? Share some of those with us, if you could. Well, there was Dawn's case. In Dawn's case, um, she had three parts in the film, three separate incidents that we, we portrayed in the film. The first was 
uh, to do with her daughter and her daughter's boyfriend. That's where it all began. And they were coming home one night, driving down one of the dark back roads in Maine in a, in a pickup truck. And they were followed home, home by this. It was a shadow that they said was flying. And it was almost like, you know, if your audience has heard of, of the Mothman, it was that type of a, um, entity. And it was a shadowy form. It was almost like a, a giant bat. So she described that. And that was quite terrifying, the experience her daughter had. Um, another girl in the film, Heather, you know, she had seen shadowy figures come into her room at night and terrified her to the point she had a, a breakdown on the film just by someone saying the wrong word. It was actually me that said it, you know, and it, the level of fear in these people um, because of the experiences is... Um, is is off the scale. I mean, they're just living terrified that these things may come back and, you know, revisit them and, and, and haunt them or attack them again. And one other girl in the film, um, she was sexually assaulted by one. She's quite graphic about the experience, but um, she claims that one of these shadowy entities used to visit her at night and it would crawl up on top of her. She was paralyzed. She couldn't move. And the entity would do what it did. And when it was finished with her, it would leave. And she was helpless. She couldn't fight it off. She couldn't stop it. And that traumatized her, you know. She she just didn't want to go to sleep because she was fearful that this thing would come. Uh, Rosemary, the, the origin of the jinn, you mentioned from uh, the Isl- Islamic uh, culture. Are they mentioned specifically in the Quran? Yes, they are. There's quite a bit of material uh, about them in the Quran. Uh, the creation story that's presented is that in the beginning there were angels and jinn and no people. And um, the jinn had access to the heavenly realms and they could eavesdrop on the angels. And they had dominion over the earth. And when God decided to create human beings, uh, human beings were given dominion over the earth and uh, the jinn were pushed out. And um, the story is told that um, they were quite upset about it. In fact, um, when God ordered uh, the angels and, um, to bow down before Adam, uh, the angels complied, but the jinn did not, claiming human beings were inferior to them. They weren't going to bow to anything inferior. And even though the jinn were banished to another realm, which we could uh, describe in modern terms as a parallel universe to Earth, because they are tied to Earth, uh, they were given until Judgment Day to prove their case against human beings. And so there are a lot of similarities between jinn and demons in terms of their behavior. Uh, there are evil jinn, there are good jinn. Um, in Christian lore, demons are all bad. Uh, except in magical texts where you can uh, summon up, uh, you know, demons to help you, but they're still a tricky, kind of undesirable lot. And uh, the jinn are, are much more like human beings, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there are enlightened, benevolent jinn, and uh, the ones that seem to deal with us the most are the hostile ones who may be resentful for the fact that uh, they lost their dominion over the planet. And there are some other creation stories as well uh, that that um, uh, the jinn actually predate uh, Islam. Uh, they're in the the very old oral folklore uh, from the Middle East, and uh, there are other stories told about how they lost their dominion over over the earth. Uh, but they're shapeshifters, and uh, they're very intelligent. Um, 
some of them seem to uh, have a, a deliberate intent to pester people and cause them problems, even terrorize them. And I think some are just opportunistic. Um, they play with us like a cat and a mouse. Uh, and uh, you don't have to have materializations to, to have problems from them. When you start ah. encountering the gin, things can start going wrong in your life. You That's what I was going to ask bad you. Bad luck, bad health, your relationships uh, start to get fractured. Um, one of the things that's plagued me a lot is in my work where um, my communications with people get disrupted, telephone, fax, messages, computer files go missing or get corrupted. Um, My husband and I have had, um, you know, car accidents after I've been involved in uh, significant gin cases. And uh, that's the that's the, the the way that they start upsetting your life, and um, they don't even have to show themselves; they just have to be ticked off at you. That's interesting. So you don't have to necessarily see them. Uh, they may be be working. Be, they may be working behind the scenes and affecting your life, and you're not even aware. We'll uh, take a time out. Come back. Continue on. Continue on discussing na- uh, supernatural assault. A uh, Dark Element Films release, Rosemary Ellen Guiley is in the documentary, and uh, documentary filmmaker Paul Tate, paranormal researcher as well, is here on The Conspiracy Show, back with more. Stay with us. Don't be afraid. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Beaming across North America, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. Welcome back. Filmed and produced in Maine, Supernatural Assault, Terror from the Shadows, is uh, dedicated to Dawn Howley, a Maine resident who was found dead on her birthday shortly after completing her interview for the film. In the documentary, she expresses concern for her personal safety after being physically assaulted during a supernatural encounter. So one is uh, left to wonder, did her worst nightmare actually come true? Paul Tate is uh, with us. He is the uh, documentary filmmaker. Dark Element Films is the company. And Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who is in the documentary, and of course she joins us uh, once a month to talk about the uh, the paranormal, the supernatural. Uh, Paul, did any of the, the people you interviewed, did they have physical wounds uh, that were visible during filming that they attributed to an attack of these jinn or shadow people? They didn't have physical wounds, but Dawn actually was grabbed and dragged. Her. She was pulled over the back of the sofa, like not fully over, but she was grabbed hard enough that um, her arm, she could, she said it, it was sore after the, the attack. She felt, she said she felt every finger and thumb on the hand that grabbed her. And she, she said it hurt her. I mean, she, but there was no one that I can remember that was physically you know, scratched or although I've, I've heard of that in the past that people have been scratched and worse, but during the making of Afton, that was pretty much the, um, the most significant, um, uh, physical effect that somebody had reported to us. 
Rosemary, what is the um, what is the best defense against these entities? I mean, is there any way to prevent this, or are people pretty much if once you're targeted, you you just pretty well resigned to have to put up with this nonsense? A lot of it just depends on the circumstances as uh, to why you've attracted their attention. And that's one of the key things. It's, it seems that you, you have to attract their attention in some way. Uh, and for some people, it's like moving onto the wrong piece of property. And those are the, the, the hardest cases to deal with because the, the entity is literally a resident of the land and it's energized by the land. Uh, and um, um, they've probably been there uh, a lot longer than human beings have, have been there. And so trying to exercise them from property uh, is very problematic. And I've had cases where people get um, a few weeks or even months of, of peace, and then the entity is back. It's, it's rather relentless. And in other cases, uh, you have to figure out what the problem is. Uh, and um, there are lots of remedies. Um, many have been developed uh, from uh, the Middle Eastern culture, which is probably more familiar with them than most other cultures. They're, the jinn are present all over uh, the Western world, but they just never made it into our awareness or mythologies. And um, there are prayers that help. Um, and uh, I think one of the best defenses, which is often very hard for victims, is trying to get past fear, because uh, fear makes you instantly vulnerable, and um, it sends off adrenaline energy, and I think uh, that's one of the things they want. They vampirize our life force, and they are able to make use of it. So if they can make you afraid, they've accomplished 90% of their goal. Uh, and that, in turn, weakens you on all fronts, physically, emotionally, and psychologically. Uh, I've had some people just get angry and sort of declare their boundaries, like sort of a get out and don't ever come back and leave me alone. And they will often invoke meaningful prayers for them um, that that they feel have power to them. It uh, doesn't matter what religion, as long as you're connected to uh, the force of those prayers. And those have been effective. And then in other cases, they're not. So in a lot of these cases, uh, people wind up having to experiment a lot until they find something that, uh, that seems to uh, alleviate the problem. Paul, do these attacks always take place at night, in the dark, in a bedroom, or can someone be victimized during the day in a public place? I would imagine so. I mean... A lot of the people that we did um, interview, obviously, during the sleep paralysis, it was about sleep. So, yeah, it happened at night in the bedrooms. But shadow people have been seen in other circumstances. Like I said, I saw one myself when I was 18 with somebody else at the same time, a person that I didn't know in a set of caves in England, in the Chislehurst Caves. So that wasn't a bedroom, but it was dark down there. But we had that experience outside of a home. It was in a in a strange environment, you know, under the ground. But the, the entity was seen by me and another lady that I had no prior contact with. So it is possible, I believe, to see one of these entities beyond the human, you know, beyond the, the bedroom. And it could be anywhere. It could be Dawn reported seeing one of them in the woods outside our house. So they can be anywhere. Any relation to the Slender Man, 
legend, Rosemary or Paul, either one of you? Well, there, it's possible that the Slender Man is a new iteration uh, taken by the Jinn. I, I think they're constantly shape-shifting, and uh, you can't discount the Slender Man as an Internet uh, creation because these things are like thought forms. They take on lives of their own, and, and they, they become real. They literally become real. And human beings project their consciousness into this and help make them real as well. But I do believe that the jinn throughout history, um, in their study of human beings, they know what frightens us, and uh, they they use our fears um, to uh, shapeshift into forms that uh, activate those fears. And there's been a lot of speculation that even some of the beings that we call ETs uh, are could be jinn as well, and not necessarily beings from other worlds. Well, that's interesting. And, and Rosemary, you and I have talked about this before. This idea that the jinn are, are, in fact, the common denominator for for a lot of the paranormal or supernatural phenomena that we fear the most. Alien abductions, hauntings, demonic possession, the old hag. It, it could all be emanating from one source, Correct. Well, I've had um, Middle East Eastern sources tell me that, and it, it's actually a very disturbing idea uh, that all of the things that are in the paranormal and demonic uh, and extraterrestrial um, uh, realm, uh, could they all emanate from the same being? And uh, many of the experts that I talked to said, uh, you know, look, Rosemary, it's, it's all the jinn. It's always been the jinn. Uh, all these things that uh, we try to differentiate as, as different spirits and entities, it's, it's just versions of them. And uh, when you contemplate that idea, that presents a very disturbing picture of creation, but you're getting back to uh, the Koran then, where uh, there were angels and jinn in the beginning, and then people came along. All right, we will uh, take another time out, come back, and... Uh discuss further supernatural assault terror from the shadows available now to stream online or own on dvd and blu-ray and that's uh, through darkelementfilms.com darkelementfilms.com you can watch the uh, the documentary right there stream it right there it's uh, it's scary and some uh, remarkable reenactments uh, as well you don't want to be alone when you watch this, folks. The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Back in a moment. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Follow the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. From Zoomer Radio, AM 740. We are back with Paul Tate, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and I was just watching uh, the trailer again online. And, uh, I mean, there are the reenactments, which are, are, are done beautifully. Uh, but then you have these victims on camera, and my word, they are just visibly uh, afraid, just recounting these stories to the point of, of, of being in tears. It's, it's uh, almost difficult to watch uh, in that respect. Uh, 
Paul, I was asking Rosemary about the Slender Man, whether there's a connection, and then, then we were talking about how how the, the jinn may be, in fact, the source for, for most sort of supernatural uh, activity in terms of, you know, malevolent intent and so forth. What are your thoughts on that? Well, during the making of this documentary, um, yeah, I, 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 I believe that. I mean, I've, I've spoken to Rosemary. Obviously, we interviewed her quite intensely, and she provided a lot of information. But there's also uh, an Islamic scholar on the um, documentary film. His name's uh, Yasir Kidi. And he is of the same belief. He says it's all a jinn. He says, you know, they can appear as ghosts. They can appear as dead people. They can appear as, uh, you know, in any shape or form. They purposely take on forms to terrify people. So they they could be tapping into our subconscious fears, you know, the fears that we hold deep in our minds and, um, and, and using those to generate that, that, that fear level in us when they, you know, appear in our bedrooms. So maybe all of these things are the gin. I, I think that it's definitely plausible, and I, I, I tend to um, agree with Rosemary and some of the others that have, have said this, that a lot of this that we are seeing and could be the work of the jet. Is this building towards anything? Uh, in other words, uh, are we working towards some sort of a jinn apocalypse? Are they are they looking at some whole scale invasion? Is that what we're facing? Are there any hints in any of the religious texts? Well, there's, it's been said that you know the jinn were given until judgment day to prove their case that you know man was inferior to them, and maybe. Um, this this whole thing is is leading up to something like that. I don't know, but um, I mean, Rosemary's researched this far more than I have. But I can, you know, maybe this maybe there is something to that. Maybe the jinn are trying to do something to us. Some people also think that they're they're vengeful and they're they're just trying to you know wreak havoc and 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 you know destruction upon mankind as a as a form of revenge. So there's. You know, there's many aspects to it, but uh, you know, maybe there is a, a an end game in their in their whole plan. Rosemary, any thoughts on that? Is there a, a gin apocalypse in our future? I certainly did encounter that in the interviewing I've done over the years. Uh, that uh, the hostile gin have an agenda of reclaiming dominion over the planet, and that uh, they find you know they live in another dimension, a parallel world to ours. Uh, they are able to exist in our world, uh, and they find openings uh, through portals and these energized spots where they can um, come into our world and manifest and, uh, and, and exist, but not apparently on any um, long-lasting uh, way. And so could that be part of their plan is that um, more of them start coming into our world and wreaking havoc, uh, and finding ways to, um, you know, regain that dominance to be able to stay here. And uh, I, I, did, I have interviewed uh, Islamic experts who feel that that's part of the plan. Um, and one of the things is, Richard, that um, for s- some decades now, uh, since about the middle of the 20th century, uh, human consciousness has been focused onto alternate realities. Uh, with the advent of the the UFO era, post World War II, 
with uh, all the attention devoted to angels, to near-death experiences, to uh, the, the craze for paranormal investigation, more people en masse have turned their attention to alternate realities. And could this be creating massive thought form energy that enables more of these occurrences to take place? Because we are opening ourselves up to uh, these kinds of experiences. People go out looking for them. They want to have experiences. We're talking about them more. We're accepting them as part of our um, part of our lives, and that could profoundly change our reality. Uh, to either one of you, why do they assume this form uh, of a shadow of people? Because the depictions I've seen of of the jinn, they're actually far more frightening. Uh, when they're not cast in shadow, when you actually see them as they, I suppose, truly are. Do you know what I'm saying? Why, why, well, that, that would be more frightening to me. Yes, the shadow um, aspect of it, we, we covered that in the documentary as well. And um, it's, it's pretty interesting because the humans, what, what we can see of the entire electromagnetic spectrum is a thin sliver called the visible light spectrum. And um, we're pretty much with what else exists from radio waves all the way to long um, radio waves, we're pretty much blind to that. We can't perceive any of that with our our visual senses. But the shadow people that appear to people um, may be existing on a different light frequency that we can perceive. So when they stand in front of you, they're going to block out the light that you can perceive and reflect towards you light that you can't so maybe that would explain why they appear as shadow forms we can't see the light that they're um they're giving off but they're blocking out the light behind them and all we see is almost like a shadowy silhouette a cutout and that may be what is explaining the the shadowy forms that people are seeing has anyone ever witnessed uh you mentioned, you know, that when it comes to the jinn, there are good jinn, there are bad jinn, and everything else in between. Has anyone ever witnessed a good jinn based squaring off against a, a, a bad jinn? I'm not talking about, you know, like Raw on uh, the World Wrestling Entertainment or anything, but, uh, you know, t- two of these battling, maybe one is trying to protect a human from one of the, the bad jinn, anything like that? Well, I, I have heard of cases, and uh, I... Uh, from uh, people I've interviewed, uh, that um, the jinn supposedly have uh, their own laws in society, like we do, and and some of those uh, there are prohibitions against interfering with with human beings, but they do anyway. And when you think about it, human beings, break laws all the time too. Um, but I have uh, had. Um, People tell me about cases. I have not had any cases myself where I've, I've witnessed any of this, but that uh, there are higher-order jinn that are called in to discipline lower-order jinn, and that that is one means of getting them uh, nullified or expelled from premises or from bothering people. Uh, and it takes a very skilled person to do that. That would be something that if, if I were to consider that as a remedy, I would uh, go into the uh, Islamic community and, and uh, find the this, this skilled and knowledgeable people who uh, have had experience doing that. Uh, are the jinn able to affect 
uh, people's behavior, even if they don't present themselves as shadow people. What I'm thinking about, for example, is uh, could they could they corrupt the mind of a politician or someone in authority or let's say uh, someone who becomes a terrorist? Could these individuals who are behaving horribly be under the influence of the jinn? Well, yeah. Um, in Jinnwar, I mean, yes. Uh, and in fact, there there was a, a major case in the international headlines in 2010, I believe, when the, uh, the then-president of Iran was um, sort of exposed of having uh, people in his uh, high-level government who are trafficking with jinn. And uh, one of them was uh, an acknowledged sorcerer. He said, of course I use the jinn. You know, I use them to spy on people. I have uh, jinn placed in the FBI and the CIA and MI5 and the Mossad. Why wouldn't I use the jinn? And uh, we can summon the jinn and hire them as mercenaries. And uh, I do believe that these things take place. Human beings have been summoning entities throughout history to help their cause and, and demolish the enemy. And why would things be any different today? It's not primitive superstition, it's reality. Paul, did you want to add to that? Yeah, no, I was, I was just about to say that just the jinn have been known to influence people, and that, that story that um, Rosemary brought up about the Wall Street Journal, that was back in 2010, that was in the documentary as well. And again, people have been known to use the jinn you know, for nefarious reasons to achieve their goals. There's a, a DVD or there's a documentary out there as well about magicians, famous magicians that have used the jinn. The jinn are associated with magic, magical forms, and um, they have used the jinn um, to advance their careers, you know, to perform feats of amazing um, conjuring skills that just defy physics. So these people across the world have been using the gin for years. It's just that, you know, it, in the West, we just don't believe in this stuff. And in the East, they take it very seriously. So it does happen. Once again, uh, Paul, how do people uh, stream this uh, remarkable documentary online and how do they purchase a copy on DVD or Blu-ray? Yeah, just visit the website Dark elementfilms.com there's a lot of information there about the documentary you can watch the trailer you can read about the gin and you can read about shadow people and a bit about myself and then if you want to buy a physical copy you can also do that there on dvd and blu-ray supernatural assault terror from the shadows uh paul tate thank you so much uh, for this and spending some time with us rosemary ellen guile same welcome. to you always a pleasure richard Thank you, Richard. My pleasure. Appreciate it. DarkElementFilms.com All right, my thanks to Ian Robertson, Young Zachary, Albert Vinzel, Ryan White. Back next week with... Who do we have, Albert? Jim D. Eugenio. It's Jim D. Eugenio on ah, JFK. Yes. Uh, wrote, just wrote a new book on JFK with a, a foreword by Oliver Stone. All right. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.